Hey gang, this is Editing Mode Ryan here. Just a quick disclaimer for this episode. Uh, We recorded video for this podcast, which turns out is very hard. So the audio for this episode might sound just a little bit strange, but we know what the issue is and bear with us. It won't be there for next episode. And also, turns out editing video is a lot harder than editing audio. So the video podcast on YouTube might be delayed by a couple days. Thanks for hanging in there. Anyways, back to the show. Season 2? Season 2, episode... Question mark. Episode TBD. But, big announcement, which you probably know because you're probably watching. Hey, first off, this is the What Happened podcast. It's a podcast. I'm your host, Owen. I'm, <laughs> I'm your host, Ryan. Um, that's your host, Owen. First time they see us, they just fuck our names up. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you don't, if you're new to this podcast, uh, this is a, a satirical history podcast where we talk about some weird shit back in the day. Hence the history. But anyways, if you're listening to this on um, a podcast service such as Apple Music, Spotify, turn it off. Turn it off. Throw your no, phone no, 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 in no, a no, disposal, no, no, no. light it on no, fire, no, 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 no. open up a computer, and go on YouTube so you can see our beautiful, bright, shiny faces because we're on YouTube, bitches. We also need the the views or the, the Spotify as well. And stuff. It's going to be really awkward when um, I can't get this video to work and I just made such a big deal about it. So it's do you not wa- going to be on YouTube. <laughs> do you want to have two intros? All right, so that was the first intro. Now this is the second intro. Action. Welcome back to the What Happened Podcast. <laughs> I'm your boy, uh, Ryan. You almost got your name wrong again. That's want, Ryan. I didn't like saying I'm your boy Owen. threw me off. Why? Because you're wearing a chain and you I'm, think you're cool? Hey. A sterling silver chain? <laughs> Stainless steel. <laughs> Anyways, I'm your host, Ryan. That's uh, Owen. Um, this is a satirical history podcast where we talk about weird shit from back in the day. What uh, happened? Uh, oh, no, who goes first? Um, um you Turk, you, you Turk, you talked about the chick with a dolphin two times ago. No, that ago, was two right? times ago. Last did we did Killdozer, which I believe yeah. was first. I, I went first, and then you followed up with the porter. Yes. So it's you now. So it's me now? Yeah. All right, so everybody just buckle up because the first half of this is so boring, but it's needed for context. Anyways, yeah, it took him like actually two hours to write this. We're talking about U.S. President William McKinley, the life and death. Okay. <laughs> so William McKinley was born on January 29th, eighteen forty-three, in Niles, Ohio, the seventh of nine children of William McKinley Sr. McKinley, not McKinley. You and said McKinley. His mom was Nancy McKinley. Uh, the family trade on both sides was ironworking. McKinley Sr. operated foundries throughout Ohio in New Lisbon, Niles, Poland, and Canton. That's Poland, Poland Ohio. Poland, Ohio. Yeah. Um, in 1852, the family moved from Niles to Portland, or to Poland, Ohio, so their children could get a better education. Uh, graduating from Poland Seminary in 1859, McKinley enrolled the following year in Allegheny College in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Wait, he was in the seminary? Is that what you just said? It was just a seminary college. Oh, I forgot to open my beer. We forgot to open our beers, Owen. Oh, God. I got to turn it up. Hey, there's a day. Okay. Ready on the count three. Don't fuck this up. Label away from the... Label away. We're not We're not sponsored. I'll blur it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> One. What? One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Owen just struggled with a twist off. Life is pain. Pain is life. So, all right. So, he went to seminary college. I think it was just a school run by priests, but and it was like an all boys college. I would assume. So, seminary. William McKinley lived life. Those priests love boys. Yeah, young men. <laughs> <laughs> These are college men we're talking about. Um, so, in 1861, McKinley enlisted in the Union Army when the Civil War broke out. Okay. That's interesting, right? <laughs> I feel like it would have been more interesting if you said, like, Confederate and he was from Ohio, but... Yeah, that would have been... <laughs> Ohio's the pride of the Union. Everyone knows that. <laughs> After a month of training, McKinley and the 23rd Ohio... 23rd Regiment of Ohio, now led by Colonel Elikam P. Stammen, set out... <laughs> what? 
Eliakim P. Scammon. That's a name you don't see these days. Uh, they set up for West Virginia in 1861 as part of the Kanawha Division. Their first contract or contact with the enemy came in September when they drove back Confederate troops at Carnifex Ferry. What? I don't get it. Carnifex Ferry in present-day Western Virginia. You wrote it down. Is that a there. boat or a town? It's probably a town with a ferry on it. Potentially. So, anyway, some shit happens. McKinley gets promoted. And eventually, his regiment marched to Maryland, where they were engaged, or where they engaged Robert E. Lee's troops at the Battle of Antietam. Okay, how'd they do? It was one of the bloodiest battles in all of the war. Now that was Gettysburg. It was one of. Or the northernmost battle of Schroot Farms. It was one of. That was the best reference I could have ever said. The bloodiest battles in all of the war. Hopefully, someone got the office reference there. <laughs> um. So when the war eventually ended, McKinley retired from the army as a brevet major. Brevet? Yeah, it's like you're the same rank as a major, but you did some like cool shit. So you're like cooler than a major, but you're uh, still technically the same rank, I think. Gotcha. Um, and he decided to pursue a career in law. Uh, and he started studying at the office of the, uh, an attorney in Poland, Ohio. Uh, he later went to law school in New York State and passed the bar exam in 1867. You do a lot of shit with lawyers. Your last guy was also a lawyer or something, right? My last guy? No, your last, My guy, last guy was a boat. Was a boat. <laughs> yeah. Who was before? No, that was jerking off a dolphin. There was someone I, I don't know. Anyway. Oh, the guy who, the guy oh, who just marched into walked, Mexico. Yeah, I was like, yeah. this shit's mine now. Yeah, he was also a lawyer, right? Yeah. Um, so, in 1869, McKinley, McKinley ran for office of prosecuting attorney of Stark County, Ohio, an office that has historically been held by Democrats. It was, and uh, he was unexpectedly elected. He was a good speech giver, I think. Uh, an orator, some would say. Orator? Oh. I don't know. Um, McKinley eventually campaigned for, Republican, for the Republican nomination of the Ohio 17th Congressional District and was nominated in August 1876. All right. So 100 years after the War so, for Independence. So that's how he started his uh, political power? Mm-hmm. Or his rise? Um, by that time, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes had been nominated for president, and McKinley uh, campaigned for him while running his own congressional campaign. Uh, so basically, he does a lot of boring government shit until around 1896 when he runs for president on the platform of tariff reform uh, eventually beating William Jennings Bryan, which is a great name. Bryan. Last name Bryan. William Jennings, though. That's cool. Oh, how many people you know named Jennings? I don't know. Yeah. Wasn't Jennings the bad guy from Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? Not a clue. You haven't seen Sky Captain in Dude, the World of Tomorrow? Half of your movie references, two people get. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, uh, he was sworn into office uh, on March 4th, 1897, the new president of the United States. I forget the number. Uh, Probably less than 40, greater than 12. (laughs) (laughs) So since uh, 1895, um, there's also a civil war in Cuba. McKinley (laughs) backed the rebels uh, and when he took office, attempted a peaceful approach to getting Spain to grant Cuba its independence. Oh, is that what the Civil War was about? Independence? Yeah, it was the Cuban people lived there. They're trying to get independence from the Cuban, yeah. The Spaniards. Yep, makes sense. España. Did they get it? We'll get there. Oh, Jesus. Um, but it becomes clear that Spain would not concede Cuban independence, while uh, the rebels and their American supporters would never settle for anything less. Okay. Uh, in January of 1898, riots broke out in Cuba, and McKinley agreed to send uh, the battleship, the USS Maine, to assist Consul Fitzhugh Lee in Havana. On February 15th, the Maine exploded and sank and killed uh, 266 men. <laughs> so it just, like, gets there and blows up. Dude, how fucking mad would you be if you, that's your assignment? You gotta worry about someone else's revolution, and then you just fucking blow up. <laughs> Um, Yikes. So on March 20th, the court ruled that the Maine was blown up by an underwater mine. They had those, huh? Yeah. It's never really like, figured out who Probably the Cubans. <laughs> Why the Cubans? Maybe the enemy of the Cubans. <laughs> the Spaniards. Yeah, what if they just dropped mines and shit? I feel like that's pretty likely. Yeah. Um, 
So as pressure for war mounted in Congress, McKinley continued to negotiate with Cu- for Cuban independence. Spain refused McKinley's uh, proposal, and on what April, this? sorry, April twelfth, uh, ni- eighteen ninety six, seven, eighteen ninety eight. Okay. All right. Uh, McKinley turned the matter over to Congress. Oh. He did not ask for war, but Congress declared war on April twentieth. So they declared war on Cuba's behalf. Yes, they declared war on Spain. Gotcha. Which also, I cut a lot of shit about the uh, Spanish-American War out on this, but it was like way bigger than I thought it was. I thought it was just in in Cuba, but it's like the Philippines and Guam, all that shit. Yeah, was, we took the Philippines from them. Yeah. Yeah, all that was Spanish-American War. Yeah. We did a lot of cool shit there. Yeah, yeah dude. Um. The first American land uh, Americans landed in Cuba uh, on October or on June tenth. October, uh, a <laughs> couple months. <laughs> with the landing of the first Marine battalion at Fisherman's Point in Guantanamo Bay. Oh, is that why we? I think that's why we have a base there. Oh. Uh, the U.S. Army employed Civil War era skirmishes at the head uh, at the head of advancing columns. Three of four U.S. soldiers. Uh, who had volunteered to act as skirmishers, walking points uh, at the head of American columns were killed. Three of four. That's a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, regular Spanish troops were mostly armed with modern... Why did I put this in here? It's not relevant. Dude, about what kind of guns they use. You're the one who was flexing that it I'm took skipping you this. so long I'm to skipping this. this. The, only, the only cool part about this is that the guns that the Spanish used, they called it the Spanish Hornet because they used... Uh, Supersonic rounds. Oh, it's kind of cool. I thought because it would stink. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. skip this. Yeah, aren't you talking this. about the president right now and not the war in Cuba? Skip this. Is this whole thing about William McKinley? Skip this. What did you do, man? Dude, you copied and pasted too hard. After about three months of fighting and about three hundred or three thousand five hundred dead, That's hostili- hostilities were halted on August twelfth, eighteen ninety eight, with the signing of the. Uh, was the signing in Washington of a protocol of peace between the U.S. Uh, and Spain. And eventually the Treaty of Paris was signed. And the United States was ga- uh, gained Spain's colonies of the Philippines, Guam, Puerto Rico, and in the Treaty, Cuba became a U.S. Uh, protectorate. It's important, I guess. Uh, so you wrote it. During his presidency, uh, McKinley was famous for opening trade in China, reforming tariffs, and speaking out against lynchings in the South. Yikes. All right. Yeah. He's a good guy. I guess. I don't know. Not if you like lynchings. <laughs> Everything's a matter of perspective, isn't it? All right. Just get to <laughs> 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 <That's> your point. <laughs> so, McKinley was reelected in 1900. Now... I know that all that sucked and so boring, but here is the good part. Oh, I'm glad you there. sat through that. Oh, I'd sat. Yeah. You are sitting currently. Let the record show. Am I sitting or laying? You're laying down. By the way, is your chain dishwasher safe? Because <laughs> it's stainless steel, which means it doesn't rust, right? Uh, you put a refrigerator in a dishwasher? Those what? are stainless steel, usually. But the, uh, babies aren't dishwasher safe. <laughs> <laughs> they made a stainless steel, though. <laughs> Anyways, enter... Leon Sholkosh, okay. which I think is how you say his name. It's spelled C-Z-O-L-G-O-S-Z. Sholkosh. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Leon. Sometimes I just, like, if I don't know how to say the word, like, their names like that, I, like, highlight it and then do, like, the Google speak <laughs> and then do whatever they try. <laughs> or you, that's when you just, like, fade out halfway through. Leon Sholkosh. Um, yeah, so Leon was an American steelworker and anarchist from Alpena, Michigan. Ah, fun. He was one of eight children born to a Polish-American family. His family moved to Detroit when he was five. And by the age of 17... Wait, wait, wait. They didn't want to go to Poland, Ohio? <laughs> <laughs> what, from Michigan? The Polish capital? <laughs> Uh, by the age of 17, he found employment um, at the Cleveland Rolling Mill Company, which was like a steel company. Makes sense. Because they had rolling mills, like steel mills. Like they rolled? I don't know. <laughs> um, after the economic crash of 1893, uh, the factory that he worked at closed for a good amount of time. And when they reopened, they like refused to pay anybody like the same amount of wages. Okay. So... Um, 
Leon joined a uh, moderate working man's socialist club called the Knights of the Golden Eagle. That's a pretty sick name, I'll be honest. Well, if you contrast that to the racist southerner yep. group, Knights of the Golden Temple, Golden Circle. Golden Temple. It, it, yeah, isn't that like an Indiana Jones movie? <laughs> no, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. But anyways, yeah. it sounds eerily similar to those guys. Also, every time I think of, eh, I don't know, was the, the like the German Reich a Golden Eagle too, right? They did have those. Yeah, yeah. You ever see The Eagle with um, Channing Tatum? Nope. Oh, it's the one Once where again, he, every movie reference you he make. like has to march by himself to like the top of England. Which who are they? So Scotland. No, but like back back in Roman eras. Oh, the picks and yeah, stuff. The picks yeah. to like get an eagle. I think like the Britons. The oh yeah, there is the Britons. Britannians or something. Yeah. Good movie. You should watch it. Anyways, um, so yeah, he joins this like socialist club, and uh, there he uh, gets introduced to the idea of anarchism. Okay. So Sholkosh rejected his family's Catholic beliefs, and became excited when he heard of an, an Italian immigrant named Gaetano Bresci. Um, who had returned to Italy and assassinated King Umberto I. Was there a second? No, because they killed... Well, well it, there should have been a second if he was called the first. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd just be King Umberto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, he kept a newspaper cutting of this assassination. So, he basically fantasized about this dude assassinating someone and... Naturally. Yeah, so he gets like introduced to anarchism, and then he's like, "Bro, this fucking Italian dude, he who was an it. anarchist, like killed somebody." That was pretty cool. Was he caught though? Because if they knew who did it, so yeah, so he was caught. Yeah, was he like executed? I didn't look into that. That's not what this story's about. Oh, well, just I mean, I I feel like if it was me personally, and I wanted to be like, "Oh, that was cool," like he did that, and then I saw his punishment, it would probably deter me. That was my whole point in asking. But yeah, I don't know. All right. So he kept a newspaper clipping of the assassination. Um, and he started to read anarchist newspapers. Didn't know that was a thing. In 1898, after witnessing a, sim- a series of similar strikes, many ending in violence and perhaps ill from a respiratory disease, Leon went to live with his father, who had bought a 50-acre farm west of um, Warrensville, Ohio. I like how you're struggling with like the normal names. What's well, because I, I think it's because this like the charger on this iPad is on the left, so I can't use the stand. So I have to like look down a lot, <laughs> and then I'm trying to look over my mic. I don't know. Anyways, uh, according to uh, his father, he did little to assist in running the farm and was constantly at odds with his stepmother uh, and with his family's Catholic beliefs. He so would, he like chose to live with them. And he definitely was like, with them. "Don't worry, Dad, I'm moving home." And then his dad's like, "All right, you should wake up at five, feed the cows." He's like, "Fuck you, Dad." <laughs> How old is he? Um, old enough. I think he's in his like twenties. Yeah. Um, he would often sit alone in his room, reading uh-huh. anarchist newspapers and drinking uh-huh. milk. Ooh. <laughs> like whole unpasteurized milk, <laughs> middle is, uh, of the summer, reading the newspaper before refrigeration. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure too. So just some hot milk. Do we know like? what month this was no because like just sitting there in a nice wool shirt <laughs> just drinking just warm milk, milk indoors you got like a three-piece yeah. suit on yep yep looking dapper as yeah. hell drinking dapper milk. as hell sweaty as fuck <laughs> <laughs> down in milk by the gallon what are the smells in that room hot milk and bo <laughs> hot milk and bo is the name of a uh, uh uh my sex tape i was gonna say band but i didn't think it would work i don't know whatever um <laughs> It was later said that throughout his life, he had never shown any interest in friendship or romantic relationships and was bullied during his childhood. I feel like that's what they say about you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Leo became a recluse. Uh, He was impressed after hearing a speech by uh, the anarchist Emma Goldman, who he met for the first time at one of her lectures in Cleveland in May of 1901. Uh, he eventually met Emma after a speech she gave, and she introduced him to several of his of her anarchist friends. Oh, nice. That yeah. probably went well. In the weeks that followed, uh, Leon's social awkwardness, evasiveness, and blunt inquiries about secret societies around um, like the area resulted in a uh, the Radical Free Society newspaper to issue the following warning pertaining to him. So basically, like, 
he so meets the newspaper he likes issued yeah. a warning about him. So he basically meets this woman Emma. She introduces him to some anarchists. He falls in love. No, he never showed any passion for romantics. Yeah, so he he meets that he meets her. They he she introduces him to these like like anarchists or whatever, and then he like goes around trying to find these secret anarchist societies. And he's like, um, do you? Guys are anarchists, right? Because I'm an anarchist. He's giving off awkward as major hell. narc vibes, pretty much. <laughs> so, <laughs> in a publication, they um, uh, oh, did I not put it in here? I thought I copy pasted it. <gasps> oh, I don't know. This is a really funny like clipping of him, and it's like he dresses like you. He's tall and dapper, but he cannot be trusted. Something like that. Anyways, so this dude. Gets laid off from work, moves back in with his dad, goes to, uh, gets into anarchism, meets some anarchist chick, and then gets disavowed by the very anarchist group he wants to join. That's kind of funny. So he has like nothing going for him. No, he literally has nothing to live for. So he decides Oops. to get inspired by Gaetano Breschi, the, the Italian dude. Yeah, and uh, decides to take matters in his, into his own hands. All right, like um, where this is going. On June thirteenth, nineteen oh one. William McKinley planned a trip to New York, um, and the trip would... Uh, New York what? New York, New York? Oh, sorry. Yeah, to New York State. He was going all over. Gotcha. Um, but during this trip, he uh, planned to give a short speech at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. Oh, Buffalo. Where does love I love that bit from Ethics for Family where he's just like, I don't know, just smile and pretend that Buffalo ain't a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they got waterfalls, right? Yeah, very close to Niagara. I wonder if everything just smells like mildew and shit. Actually, I went to the American side of Niagara. So you went to Buffalo. Yeah, I went to Buffalo. And there were just, like, for some reason, an insane amount of, like, Indian restaurants. I honestly thought you were going to say Chinese food places. No. that is different to me. And I was at the falls, and I was like, is that curry? Like, I don't know why, but the entire town just smells like Indian food. It's weird. Yeah. I would not expect that. So the uh, Pan American Exposition album was a World's Fair held in Buffalo, New York. Um, from May 1st through November 2nd, 1901. That's a long time. It features such exhibits as um, agricultural manufacturers. Or <laughs> um, hold you on. got this. You got hold this. On. It features such exhibits as the Liberal Arts Building, the Electric Tower, the Electricity Building, uh, the Mines Forestry and Graphic Arts Building, and Graphic Arts, the Women's Building. And the now infamous Temple of Music. I assume that's where he we'll get there. got gadded. <laughs> um, Wait, so they had a a mining building and also liberal arts or something? Yeah, it was mining it was? and liberal arts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, also an electricity drill, building. But also here's a novel about like rights or something. So was there just like Nikola Tesla in one of the buildings? Um, the, it said that the whole place was like illuminated at night. Which I guess for the time was like I mean, very impressive. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, on the morning of Thursday, September fifth, the fair gates opened at six a.m. Uh, to allow the crowds to enter early to see good spots to witness the president's speech. Okay. Um, of the one hundred sixteen thousand fairgoers that day, oh. about fifty thousand are believed to have attended McKinley's speech. That's a good amount. Jeez. Um, in his final speech, McKinley urged. Uh, an end to American isolationism. He proposed trade arrangements which would allow U.S. manufacturers uh, new markets. Um, I mean, it seems like a good place to do it at a world trade fair. A quote from his fair, um, or a quote from his speech, uh, the period of exclusionism is past, or the period of exclusiveness is past. The expansion of our trade and commerce is the pressing problem. Commercial wars are unprofitable. Kind of likes trade, I don't know. I thought you said he was good at speeches. <laughs> <laughs> These are people ate this shit up back in 1901, man. Um, so the crowd uh, greeted his speech with loud applause. Wait, um, real quick. He was re-elected in 1900? Y- yes. So this was your, what, seven, well, it's like six, technically? He got sworn into office in, like, November, though. So it's, like, okay. his, like, second right. month, technically. Okay. Well, no, you said he was re-elected. Yeah, second month in his second term. Gotcha. Okay. That's what I was saying. Um... So the crowd greeted his speech with loud applause, and at its conclusion, the president escorted Ida McKinley, his wife, back to her carriage, as she was to return to the Milburn House while he saw the sights of the fair. 
the Milburn so he didn't house want her is... to have fun, is what you're saying. Well, also, I think it's funny, because at this time, she was, like, deathly ill. Oh, good for her. <laughs> um, but he would just, like, bring her around. He's like, yeah, you have to come to Buffalo, New York. <laughs> of all places. <laughs> um, yeah, but the Milburn house was just this, like, really big house that one of the, like, fair organizers lived in. So, like, he goes there a lot. Um, so he was heavily guarded by soldiers and police, but still tried to interact with the public, encouraging those who tried to run to him by noticing him. Uh, and bowing to a group of loud popcorn sellers. <laughs> what? <laughs> popcorn! Get your popcorn! It's just like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so he made an unscheduled stop for coffee at the Puerto Rican building. <laughs> oh, sorry, what? There's a Puerto Rican building, too. I forgot to say that. Have um, you ever been to a Puerto Rican Day parade? No. I've heard there's a lot of ass. Do you want to go? <laughs> Um, so yeah, he stopped for an, he made an unscheduled stop for coffee in the Puerto Rican building before returning to the Millbury House or Milburn House in the late afternoon. Okay. Leon, gun in his pocket, had arrived earlier at the fair and was quite close to the podium before McKinley had arrived. He considered shooting the president during his speech, but he felt that he couldn't uh, get a clear hit. No, no, no. He was compelled by the speech. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Damn, do we really do have to open up for impressions?" <laughs> um. So, uh, he attempted to follow McKinley as he was doing all this shit, like, yelling mm-hmm. at popcorn sellers or whatever. Um, Getting mad. He's, like, talking to popcorn guys, <laughs> not him. Uh, he attempted to follow McKinley as the president uh, began his tour of the fair, but was thrust back by uh, security officers. Thrust back. Yeah. Like, get out of here, kid. Um, not you, Leon. <laughs> so, Leon saw no further chance of getting um, the president that day and returned to his $2 a week rented room above a saloon. Good for him. Yeah. Um, so on the morning of Friday, September 6th, 1901, McKinley dressed formally as usual, then departed the Milburn house to stroll through the neighborhood. Okay. Leon also arose early with the intent of lining up for the public reception. The fair organizers had chosen uh, the Temple of Music as a place for William McKinley to host a public reception. Basically, they, like, you could just Meet go and, and like, yeah, you could just shake hands with everybody. Yeah. I also it was like supposed to be like 10 minutes long. Like that's called the Temple, by the way. Temple. But I'm sure it's just this like really shitty building. <laughs> it was 1901. They had class back then, you know. Ooh, class. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so they spent the morning of September 6th making um, some physical arrangements for the reception. Floor seating was removed to create uh, a broad aisle running from the east doors through which the public would be admitted to where McKinley would stand. I like that you put east in there. I yeah. know you did that. In I don't know where, where it ended. Yeah, I right like how the there's no other references to any compass directions. <laughs> um, Where do they enter, Ryan? <laughs> they en- no, they enter the east. Yeah, but which way is he facing? North? Why is that pertinent? North by northwest? <laughs> That's a good movie. <laughs> um, it's terrible. Once ma- <laughs> how funny would it be if you were just like, oh, like south by south north or something? I don't know. Once members of the public shook hands with McKinley, they would continue to uh, they would continue on to exit the building. An American flag was dra- draped behind the president, both to screen him from behind and for decoration. Ooh, fancy! Several potted plants were arrayed around uh, his place to create an attractive scene. So he wasn't cute enough, he's is what you're saying? Joint, you know? he's, he's, he's pretty big. He's pretty fuzzy, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, exhibition police were stationed at the doors. Detectives from the Buffalo uh, police guarded the aisles. Real quick, exhibition police, to me, just seems like a bunch of cops that would walk around alleys and make sure no one's jerking off. <laughs> oh, I just figured it'd be a bunch of cops jerking off. <laughs> oh, there you go. Also, yes. Yeah. Um, in addition to McKinley's uh, usual Secret Service agent, George Foster, Two other agents had been assigned to the Buffalo trip because of uh, Corty Lou's security concerns. Corty Lou, I guess, is like the main security guy. Just so you know. <laughs> I don't think you know. Uh, McKinley arrived just on time, glanced at the arrangements, and walked over to his place where he stood with uh, Milburn on his left and Corty Lou on his right. A pipe organ began to play the Star Spangled Banner. Patriotic. Um, as McKinley ordered the doors opened to admit those who uh, had waited to greet him. Uh, an experienced politician, McKinley, could shake hands with 50 people per minute. That's not like a... Is that a flex? He had a technique where he would grip their hands first 
so as to both guide them past him quickly and prevent them from squeezing his fingers. So he, like, tugs on their arm a little bit? I think he, like, grabs your hand and then just, like, jostles you the other direction yeah. to, like, get you out of there. That sounds so worth the wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, so people filled in and shook hands with the president. Until. Are you telling me Leon was Leon in that line? Leon came around. Uh, Leon approached the president with a handkerchief draped over his right hand. McKinley initially thought that Leon's hand must be injured, so he reached for his left hand. How do we know what he was thinking? Well, they saw him reach for his left hand. I don't know. Maybe he was like, oh, he has a gun. Let's just shake his right hand. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he reached for his left hand until Leon whipped, at, whipped out a thirty-two caliber Ivor Johnson revolver. The same revolver used to assass- assassinate Italian King Umberto I. Ah, no coincidence there, I'm sure. Um, Leon shot twi- uh, McKinley twice in the abdomen before, before being tackled by McKinley's security detail, who proceeded to bludgeon him with the butts of their rifles. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably do the same. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you weren't good enough at your job to prevent the dude with a weird handkerchief on his right hand. You might as well beat him half to death. Yeah, exactly. Uh, McKinley ordered the men to stop beating him, um, uh, to stop beating the shit out of Leon, and then uh, he was taken away by the security. Do you think he said that because no one was paying attention to the dying president and everyone was just kicking this dude? (laughs) Seriously, seriously, I need help. (laughs) Um, So McKinley was shot at 4.07 p.m., and an ambulance arrived on scene. Or arrived at the exhibition, sorry, on scene. So, shop talk. Um, you say shop talk? Yeah. Anyways. Um, I think he just tried to impress you with the fact that he's a paramedic. Yes, I am. Did you see this chain? It's medic money. No, it's not. <laughs> paramedic money, stainless steel. <laughs> yeah, any other type of job would be actual sterling silver. Or gold. <laughs> um, yeah, so an ambulance arrived at the exhibition at 425. And McKinley was taken. To That's good response time. <laughs> also, they weren't like EMTs or medics or nurses. Or no, anything. they were like oh, yeah. butchers and yeah. barbers. Yeah, and like barbers. So a dude showed up with scissors. Yeah. The guy finished cutting hair and then responded. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm, I'm always done with this fade. <laughs> um, so he was taken to close his hospital. However, at the time of the shooting, no. This is where it gets wacky, right? Oh, you talked about this. Uh, yeah. No fully qualified doctor. Dude, it took you like 35 minutes to get to the cool story. You could have just. Talked about William McKinley and then just jumped right to this. At the time of Instead, the shooting. Instead, you just at, delved into Cuba. At the time of the shooting, Owen. Yeah, no, this is the cool At story. the time of the shooting. <laughs> what in this? At the time of the shooting. Like you fucking no qualified doctor was at the hospital, only nurses and interns. The best surgeon in the city and the exhibition's medical director. Dr. Roswell Park was in Niagara Falls uh, performing a delicate neck operation. Uh, When interrupted during the procedure um, on on September 6th uh, to be told he was needed in Buffalo, he responded that he could not leave, even if it was the President of the United States. And then they said, like, ha-ha, Doc, that's a good one, but it's actually the President (laughs) of the United States who got killed. Did he leave? Um, I think so, yeah. Dude, I'd be, how mad would you be? Or maybe he just did, like, a real, like, Botch job like closing up a lady's yeah. neck. Dude, can you imagine being the patient's family and being like, "Look, I, I, I get it, <laughs> but still, my mom is now dead." <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so the first physician to arrive on scene at the hospital was Doctor Herman Minter. Well, um, like seven hours later. Yeah, with a park available, and the uh, fading afternoon light being the majority of the source of illumination in the operating room. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They didn't just move the operating room to the like the the, the tower of light or the whatever. Tower of power. Yeah. <laughs> whatever that weird all lit building was. Uh, no, they did not. It's also it's funny because they said that they had like a prototype X-ray machine at one of these exhibits, and they're like, well, "Can we use this on the president?" And they're like, "No, it'll be fine." How many people do you think got cancer from that? <laughs> a quite a many. <laughs> um, yeah, since uh, sunlight was the um, yikes like, main source of illumination in this operating room, they decided to start the operation as quickly as they could. Um, Was he, like, conscious at the time? We'll get there. Will we? Yes, we will. Just ruin... Like, no, not... not. (laughs) I don't know where I am now because of you. Oh, my God. (laughs) You're seven hours into your spiel. That's where you are. Um, Yeah, so they're trying to get out the remaining bullets. It's important to note that Minter 
was not experienced in abdominal wounds. So it was like he got shot twice, you said. So yeah. it was like one through and through, and then the other one was just like lodged in a organ? I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, he was not experienced in abdominal wounds. He was a gynecologist. <laughs> so, hey, Richard doctor's gave... a doctor. Ask my sister. Shout out. <laughs> She's a physical therapist, audience. <laughs> Um, so Minter gave McKinley a bunch of morphine and a bunch of ether to okay, sedate I him. Mean, and just put her down, boys. <laughs> yeah, so apparently it was like very hard to put him down because they kept trying to give him ether and he was just so fat that he wouldn't, <laughs> it was like he wouldn't uh, stay down. So he kept like waking up halfway through. And he was just go, whoa, girl, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Calm thoughts, ocean breeze. <laughs> um, so to increase lum- uh, uh, lighting, sunlight was reflected onto the wound by another physician holding, like, a mirror uh, towards the end of the surgery. Did it also cauterize? <laughs> uh, no. It's Much not like I did with glass. ants when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a magnifying glass, not a mirror. I don't know. Do I look like a scientist? No, definitely not. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the hospital also lacked basic surgical equipment, Owen, such as retractors. Okay, 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 okay. So they're hosting a fair with 150,000 people in attendance, and they didn't think to, like, beef the hospital up? I don't think back then they really gave a shit about it. Stuff like Other that. humans, yeah. No, it's not like where if like the Boston Marathon is happening, like all the hospitals along the route, yeah, like gear up. Yeah, whatever. and there's they don't us do, like, special shit. and an ambulance with no idea where I am <laughs> or how to get anywhere. Look in my hand. Yeah, so um, they didn't have like basic surgical yeah. shit. Yeah. Um, the doctors also found it hard to work on McKinley because of his immense weight, or because he was a gynecologist. Well, at this point, like. But, like, the, the gynecologist guy started the surgery, mm-hmm. and then, like, like 50 more doctors, like, flooded in because and, of the and then president. He, he tagged himself out. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, absolutely not. Um, so they managed to sew McKinley up, but they never found the bullets he'd been shot with. Um, one of them believed that it was, like, lodged somewhere in his back fat. Ugh. Um, so they just dug around a lot, mushed a lot of stuff around him, and stitched him back up. Pretty much. Nice. Um, so after this uh, surgery, McKinley appeared to be doing fine. Um, and he was moved to the Melbourne residence to recover. Okay. Everything looked okay until the president suddenly collapsed. Oof. What, uh, he get, like, gangrene or something? Yeah, so it was discovered that, well, so he, like, they were like, oh, president, you're doing good enough. You can have some, like, toast and, like, chicken broth, like, really bland shit. Oh, and then his he, stomach was perforated? Yeah, then he just, like, got intense stomach pain, and they're like, it's probably indigestion. <laughs> um, no Pepto-Bismol back then. <laughs> <laughs> so... It was or later penicillin, right? No. Oof. So it was later discovered that uh, McKinley had been shot through his stomach and his, like, sigmoid colon Ooh. Um, Ooh. and so one of his kidneys. He was leaking a lot. And they only sewed up his stomach. So, like, there's a lot of just, like, disgusting shit yep. pouring into his abdomen. Yep, good. Um, which was slowly poisoning his blood. That had to be tremendously painful. Oh, yeah. The ether probably took the edge off, though. <laughs> Can you imagine being like, uh, don't worry, I'm doing fine. Pain's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> just huffing <laughs> ether, <laughs> drifting away. <laughs> um, so it turned to be a sight, dude. <laughs> just huffing ether, taking morphine shots. Like, can you imagine you walk in, checking up on the president? It's like, yeah, the pain really hurts, and you just like pour something on a cloth and just shove it in his face. <laughs> He's just like fucking like staring at the sun, like staring at lights, being like, whoa. <laughs> um, so at two fifteen a.m. on Saturday, September fourteenth. 1901, President McKinley dies. Oof. Shout what happened to Leon? Agent. We'll get there. Jeez, how long? Right now. On September 13th, the day oh. before McKinley succumbed to his wounds, Leon was taken from police head, or was taken to police headquarters in Buffalo, New York, and was later transferred to Erie County Women's Penitentiary. Oh. Because, um... Because there was a gynecologist involved. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess the, um... The, like, police headquarters is going, like, doing renovations or something, so they're like, we can't keep them here. During a festival with 150,000 people. This is not how shit worked back then. You know what? I blame his death solely on <laughs> Buffalo, New York. <laughs> it's because shit like Leon Sholkosh killing yeah, people that yeah, now that hospitals prepare for large events yeah, like this. That we get overtime. Yeah. Yeah. Great overtime. Yeah. Um, on September 16th, he was brought uh, to the Erie County Jail to be arraigned before County Judge... Uh, Ermy, em- County Judge Emery, um, after the arraignment, Leon was transferred to Auburn Prison. 
His defense argued that he must be crazy because no sane person would shoot the president in front of so many people. Um, I thought you were going to say would drink milk alone in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I present to you the milk. <laughs> um, so they eventually uh, like denied his claim of insanity and he was sentenced to death by electric chair. Oh, good. And... Uh, that's the story of Leon Shokosh and William McKinley. And I do think the most important part of this story is that so Teddy Roosevelt mm-hmm. was the vice president at this time. Okay. When this was happening, Teddy Roosevelt was just like fucking off in the wilderness yeah, somewhere. Yeah, he was probably just like on a bear hunt. Yeah, they had to like send a park ranger to go for like a three-day hike to be like, Teddy, Teddy, <laughs> you're the president, son. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that was the longest walkabout for you ever ended on a high note jesus christ also you've done two stories on a guy named leon now by the way who's the other leon thurman theremin theremin excuse me yeah they're like space age shit all right so luckily for every listener ever i have a two-page story this time so it's gonna be a lot shorter all right ryan so we're gonna since you were in buffalo we're gonna hop the pond to toronto oh canada or lake ontario yeah lake ontario it's not a pond it's a lake Dude, neither is the Atlantic Ocean, but we call it a pond when we refer to England. I don't. <laughs> the term of endearment, Ryan. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to talk about the Toronto Circus Riot and the unimaginable brawl that changed the political landscape of Toronto. The Toronto Circus Riot. Yes, that's what I said, the Toronto Circus Riot. Now, I've been a ri- in a riot once or twice in my life. No, you haven't. But never a circus riot. You've definitely been at the bomb getting your just fucking face pounded. <laughs> um, one time, there was a fight at my elementary school. There were 20 kids, and I stood in the back throwing rocks. You know, I was in your elementary school. Do you remember that? I don't. Should have been there. I think I know exactly who would have started it, though, <laughs> if I had to guess. So, yeah, I'm pretty uh, used to riots. Yeah, it's because of his chain. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so on the morning of July 12th, 1855, the circus came to Toronto. What are you looking for? I think we're pausing for Ryan here. No, I have to. God damn it. Do you have our Instagram? Why? I was supposed to do a shout out. Uh, a guy sent us a I, thing, and I was supposed to do a I shout out. I'll add it in post. You were, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, the way you asked. So remember how he's been asking for a while for you guys to send in, like, fun facts and stuff? He finally got one. And I forgot about it. And he just was not prepared at all. So shout out to that guy who sent it to us because... Something about dogs. No, yeah, yeah it was about, uh, like, Frederick the First or something. But I gotta, get, I gotta say his name. He looked like Great Danes or something. I don't know. So with a population that had tripled to over 40,000 people in just, a past, in just a few decades, it quickly became one of the largest cities in Canada. This is 1855. Yet... Toronto. Yeah. You gotta say it like Drake says it. Toronto. Either way, so this is 1855, regardless of the population of 40,000 and being one of the largest towns, it was still, like, considered a rough-and-tumble frontier town. It had over 152 saloons and brothels. That's kind of cool. The brothel part or the... Either. You meant the fuck. <laughs> Either. So... <laughs> like, Drake's better than I like sex. What can I say? So... Uh, the clowns and the carnies of the S.B. Howe's Star Troop, Menagerie, and Circus fit right in with this environment. Also, they were American, by the way. Someone's Keep that in mind. You. What? Someone's calling you. Can you see who it is? This there week's shout-out comes from uh, a, po- a fellow podcast called The Life and Times of Frederick the Great. And the fun fact is that Frederick the Great was in the Grey House. So, I forget So, go what listen to the... the Life and Times of Frederick the Great. Available wherever you find it. It's available on Spotify, Apple, and Anchor. Are we available on Anchor? <laughs> no, because Anchor's weird. All right. Uh, so either way, I forget where I was. Um, oh, yeah. So the troop fit right in. Troop? Troop? I'm going to say troop. So S.B. Howe had been one of the or had, had been one of the first organized circuses to appear in the United States, and it was the first to use live animals, like lions, tigers, and elephants. Oh my. <laughs> and one of the first to begin regular tours from city to city. Uh, so when the performance at the Big Top ended on the night of July 12th, a group of clowns from the troupe decided to go out for a night on the town. 
Do you think they kept the makeup on? I would love to think so, dude. I think that'd make it so much it's better. A bunch of carnies getting absolutely yep. trashed. Yep. Yeah, you know, carnies party harder they than anyone to. else. Yeah, especially if you're like traveling, sir. Yeah. yeah. Now uh, they're doing like, like opium and shit. <laughs> <laughs> so they went from bar to bar and eventually found themselves at the Mary Ann Armstrong Social Club. Is that a? It was a brothel. It was a brothel. Yeah. Uh, so it was on the corner of King and Jarvis Street, and it was one of the many hundreds of brothels in the streets of Toronto. 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 So at the same time, Marianne Armstrong was also playing host to another group of young men. Ryan, who do you think they were? A bunch of gay prostitutes? The Hook and Ladder Firefighting Company. That's a pretty cool name. Yeah. So, at this time, public city-operated fire departments did not exist. All companies were for profit. <laughs> so I know we've talked about this, but yeah. I do think it's hilarious that in places like Arizona, there are still for profit yes. fire, yeah. fire departments. Yep. So to describe a for profit fire department, so whenever a fire broke out, each company would rush to the scene uh, where the first to arrive would cut a deal with the building's owner and then put out the fire. So you'd have to like agree to pay a certain amount and then they'd be like alright I guess I'll do it that'd be cash or credit well something tells me by the time they're like horse drawn like really shitty carriages a bucket and water showed up your house is already fucked yeah cause you gotta get all the horses hitched up and everything you gotta fill all the pails that's a good point point. and then you get there and then you still have to haggle on the price which yeah. is gonna take like 15 yeah. minutes and everything's wood <laughs> yeah so it's going up yeah so every house is probably fucked in Toronto uh so whenever a Oh, excuse me. When two rival fire companies would arrive at the same time, it is not unusual that the companies would duke it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> in fact, just two weeks prior to this event, the Hook and Ladder Brigade had gotten into a melee with another company that got so out of hand the cops were called, all while the house burnt down. <laughs> Do you think these fire departments ever hired people not because they thought they'd be good firefighters, but because they just, like, were like, this guy could... This guy, this guy could, could kill somebody. Fuck someone up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I have this in the in, in what happens later, and they did use their tools to attack people, but like, can you imagine being the homeowner, and you're trying to get someone to extinguish your house, and there were two firefighters, like, sword fighting with axes. <laughs> you're like, help, my baby's in there. <laughs> the guy's just, beat another guy to yep. death with a halligan. Yep, and they're just dueling. <laughs> yeah. So that was Toronto in 1855. Um, so... <clears throat> Now, after another rough day of fighting both fires and other firemen, the Hook and Ladder Company visited a few taverns, got a bit unsteady on their feet, and also ended up at Miss Marianne's social club. So they're also super drunk. Yeah, so the the, the the weird clown, like, animal touchers are there, and also the, like, really beefy, just, like, testosterone-driven firefighters. So, I mean, if I had to guess, like, if I'm putting money on this, like, this is my thought process, right? Like, the firefighters are definitely stronger. Yeah. Because they're fighting fires, climbing ladders, carrying heavy shit all day. Thank you for the compliment. But the carnies are all definitely on amphetamines. Yeah, they're definitely on some drugs. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. It could go 50 50 yeah. for me. Yeah. So, all right. Then, so on the night of July 12th, two gangs of half drunk, testosterone driven young men were packed together into a small building full of attractive, attractive, uh, available young women. Okay. Sorry, I, keep, I know Set I keep derailing you, but how attractive can a prostitute from Toronto in 1858 really be? I mean, not great, but that's all you gotta choose, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Continue. <laughs> so, stories vary on exactly what happened. In some versions, <laughs> one of the clowns and one of the firemen came to blows over the services of a particular young lady. That's my whore. <laughs> in others, one of the firemen knocked the hat off of a clown and others one of the clowns <laughs> cut in line ahead of the fireman and in another account a clown squeezed a button on his yeah, lapel and a flower shot say. water at him I, 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 can you imagine bumping into a clown knocking his hat off and you hear a horn <laughs> you hear a <laughs> <laughs> like a goofy laugh please tell me that the way these clowns fight it's all like three stooges like one like tabletop <laughs> one guy like bops your nose like jams his fingers <laughs> into your eyes <laughs> Well, another guy tabletops you. <laughs> and he's like, wee, wee, wee. <laughs> uh, So, whatever set it off, the result was swift. A gigantic brawl broke out between the clowns and the firemen. In a brothel, by the way. By the time the cops arrived, the clowns had thoroughly beaten the crap out of the firemen, sending two of them to the hospital. Please tell me they started another fire, and then two more fire departments showed up and started beating the, the shit out just, of yeah. <laughs> So, that was July 12th, and that's not the end of the story, because that would have been an incredibly uneventful story. Continue. So, 
you've tickled my fancy. But it didn't end there. So local politics entered the picture. So to get a little political and weird with Toronto. So much of Toronto's population was made up of immigrants from Ireland, and they brought their Irish political and religious conflicts with them. While the majority of the city's Irish community were Catholics, the Toronto city government was dominated by Irish Protestants because they were a colony of England, which is all Protestant. So Protestants versus Catholics is a whole thing. So back a ways. Does it go back to that king that wanted to get divorced? Yes, literally. Okay. Yeah, literally he just couldn't get divorced, and now everyone is all about pro- whatever. Sir and Lucha for the Lucha Luke pussy. Yeah, li- literally, and everyone's like, this is the right church for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the upper class citizens of Toronto were Protestant. The lower class Irish people, who everyone fucking hated Irish immigrants for some reason, uh, oh. were like, you know, the dirty potato eating motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, and the uh, Protestants were called the Orange Order. Okay. Oh, because uh, they're hair. Orange men, yeah, because they were Irish Protestants. So Toronto was mainly Irish, but it was split between Irish Protestants and Irish Catholics. Yeah. The Irish Protestants ruled Toronto, and the Irish Catholics were just fucking scum. Gotcha, okay. Uh, so. These uh, Irish Protestants were called the Orange Order or Orange Men, which is just fucking weird to me. But <laughs> so, so getting an Orange Men coming <laughs> down the road. Uh, so the Irish Protestants like waged war on the Irish Catholics, and they did this a lot by. Um, so they tried to make the Irish Catholics second-class citizens, and they did this by involving gangs who would just routinely beat up Irish Catholics in the streets and, like, threaten their lives and shit. How do you know an Irish guy is Catholic just by looking at him? That's a good question. Maybe they had, like, a Irish cross on them. see it like a, like a rosary. You yeah, or if him. he's, like, not in a suit. I don't know. Hmm. So they were just, like, constantly, like, threatened and beat up to these people to make two different classes in Toronto. So the police department and much of the fire department wore uh, orange men. Because there were high standards and whatever. I don't know. They were political people, so they had to be, of course, the Catholic or the Protestant side of it. So since the firefighters and the police department were part of this orange order, they were kind of like, it was like a brotherhood, you know? Yeah. So it's like cop- today's firefighters. No, we fucking hate cops. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Um, so the firefighters and the cops teamed up, essentially. <laughs> to beat the shit out of the cars. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. And after getting their asses whooped by out-of-town clowns, the firemen on the whole case... <laughs> Did you plan that? Yeah, out-of-town clowns. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> uh, so the Hook and Ladder Company, the men, were bent on revenge and counted on getting it. So the next night, which happened to be July... Friday the 13th. That was Ooh. the point, not July. Nobody gives a fuck. So it was Friday the 13th, okay. which I think is just awesome. Uh, a gang of firemen accompanied by a mob of local Orange Order supporters gathered where the circus was camped out that night. They, like, release all the lions and elephants. <laughs> Dude, that would have been fucking sick. Can you imagine you're fighting a guy, and you, you see the guy next to you get mauled by a tiger? <laughs> and then a clown pulls out, like, a bowling pin and beats the shit out of you. One guy's riding an elephant. He's <laughs> just like, what the Dude, I'm just imagining the brawl from Anchorman, but it's all yes. carnies and firefighters. Yes, but it's, like, guys in fire suits, and then, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, they began to gather around SB House, Star Troop, Menagerie, and Circus. The troop had pitched their tents at the Fair Green, which was like a big grassy space on the waterfront of Lake Ontario. Cool. Uh, now it is currently located next to the Toronto Sun Building, if anyone cares. So the farmers and merchants who set up stalls nearby, because they were like set up near like a little like farmer's market, yeah. were basically told by the cops beforehand, like, hey, you should get the fuck out of here. Listen, laddie, there's some stuff going down. <laughs> yep. uh, so basically everyone dipped besides the circus people and the orange men, which just feels really weird to say, but that's what they called themselves. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so the mob was led by the Hook and Ladder Company, uh, <laughs> who would then they, fir- they they so they started the mob by just setting fire to shit, as most firefighters do. <laughs> Gonna give a good thrash into those carnies. Uh, so you may be asking yourself, where are the police during this fight, Ryan? Right? Uh, were they paid off or something? Well, they weren't necessarily paid off. It was more of just like the Brotherhood of the Orange Men. You know, so that should like, be a great well, movie. Well, That'd be great. Write that down. <laughs> They're like, we'll just turn a blind eye to this. Yeah, so the police chief, Samuel Sherwood, was an orange man. Uh, and essentially, he heard the news beforehand. It was basically just like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. Like, I think it'd be kind of fun. Okay. Uh, so, so, this time, it was the circus gang who took their ass kicking. <laughs> and with the, So, there's multiple accounts of like what happened during it. I'll get to that. 
but my one of my favorite parts is that the police eventually had to show up, but all the cops are also orange men, so they would all just stand around and make sure no one like actually killed themselves. Oh no. Yeah, like made sure like you were beating the guy to a pulp but not dead. Yeah. You know? So sorry, my fucking I wrote this awfully. So it's reported that a lot of the people would throw stones at each other and that a lot of firemen had pike poles and axes that they were just bludgeoning people with. <laughs> and a pike pole is like a six foot long pole with a spike at the end. So basically like a pikeman from like medieval times, but just like, like a testosterone driven guy because like he got a beaten. Phalanx of firefighters. Yeah, literally. Yeah, with just axes and shit. At clowns. Yep. <laughs> clowns who have like air horns. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be tough to run away in those big shoes they got yeah, on. Yeah, right? Uh, so it's reported that it got so bad for the clowns that they ended up just, like, dipping and just running in all directions. And some people dove into Lake Ontario just to get away from the firefighters. There's a seal bouncing on a ball and just like, fuck, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> no, the clowns called in the Navy and it was a bunch of seals. <laughs> but all they can do is sit at the shore and just yeah, blow and stuff just, on their nose. And just clap. <laughs> <laughs> But that's good encouragement from the water. Yeah. Either way, it didn't work. The clowns had to run away from the firemen and the cops and all the other orange men guys in suits and shit that were just burning all of their stuff down. <laughs> all because they like fought like a little group of firemen the night before in a brothel. That's pretty wild. Kind of, yeah, kind of wild. So, like I said earlier, the police pretty much did nothing. They just watched and made sure no one actually like killed anyone. Uh, even Chief Sherwood himself showed up. Uh, but he only claimed that he stopped the riders from setting fire to the cages that animals were in. Oh, so that's, that, that's a nice guy. The tigers were okay. Yeah, the ti- thank God the tigers were okay. So of the 17 people who were actually charged in the riot, only one was ever convicted. All of the police who were at the scene claimed they couldn't remember any of the orange men who were there. <laughs> I didn't get a good look at them. Yeah, like literally, this is like a thing that the cops would just keep doing. Every time like someone of this orange cult or whatever would get arrested, the cops would be like, I don't know. Was it there? I didn't see him. I don't think he was there. And they'd be like, sir, you arrested him. Be like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. So literally they arrested 17. Uh, must have been 16 of them are orange men. And they were just like, I don't know. <laughs> like he literally almost killed four clowns. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't see it. <laughs> he broke like nine noses that night. Yeah. yeah, I was there. Like so many people said he was lighting fire to shit. I don't know. But it was tough to see. It was too bright. It was too bright. There was too much fire. Uh, so that, as far as most people were concerned, was a cover-up by the Orange Man Police Department. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this would keep on happening. So a few months later, there was another Protestant versus Catholic riot. And Chief Sherwood's memory was, again, suspiciously fuzzy as far as Orange Men were concerned. Once again, him and his department were put on trial. Or not put on trial, but, you know, like the arresting officer has to go, right? And every time they just be like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. It was just like the most corrupt fucking police force in, and I, I almost said Toronto's history, but probably like a big a lot, yeah, big a lot of history. That's big, English. Big a lot of history. <laughs> um, I took a, I think I took uh, AP big a lot of history in, ooh, in high school. AP, a, yeah, I almost said A push, but I was trying to mix the words together. It didn't work. <laughs> I don't think that's fast. So by now, the population of Toronto just had enough of their absolutely corrupt police force. So at the next election, uh, mayor election, because the mayor was also an orangeman. Yeah. Oh, also, it, it was reported that, um, I thought I wrote this down, but the only way that the riot was stopped, oh yeah, uh, it took the mayor to settle things down, so he came to the fair green in person, and he actually kept a fireman from killing a clown with an axe by grabbing the axe out of the fireman's hands <laughs> as he was just bludgeoning the clown on the ground. <laughs> Um, Dude, it's gonna be annoying trying to beat a clown to death every yep. time you hit him in the face. That big rubber mouth. It also the mayor had to call in the local militia who had to threaten like bayonets to the firemen's faces for them to stop. Jesus Christ! Uh, He's like, listen, guys, you're not getting in trouble, but I need you to stop. How confused would you be? So this is like a, essentially like the equivalent of the national guard, right? You sh- you get called in, you show up, and the cops are just like, yeah, get him, get him, <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> But they're yelling at firefighters for yeah. yep. killing clowns. Yep, yep. And this is just a normal night in 1855 Toronto. Uh, so, uh, after 20 years um, of having an orange man, orange, I just keep saying it, it just sounds weird. After 20 years of, ha- of having an orange man as a mayor, the um, citizens of Toronto finally voted him out and voted a reform party mayor. Uh, into office, which I don't know what that is, but that must Probably be like... someone who uh, isn't super corrupt? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what ended up happening is that they fired all the corrupt city government officials, including every single person on the fire or the police department. 
everyone, every cop, the chief, everyone. They just cleaned house, and then they had to like rebuild. Uh, I don't know if the Toronto Police Force is still corrupt, but I think it'd be funny if they had a plaque being like, "Don't be like the orange men." Every yeah, is time there like you left. A monument at the green now. Is there a monument? Yeah, that'd be that hilarious. I don't know. If there's a monument, and it's like. <laughs> A firefighter standing on a clown. Yep, yep. No, he's doing the Captain Morgan, but on a clown's face, <laughs> holding a fire axe. <laughs> Here lies. Uh, but yeah, so that's just basically the really quick story of the Toronto Circus Riot and uh, how it changed the political landscape of Toronto. Yes. Quite an interesting, quite, a, quite an like interesting little history tidbit. Really weird that like firemen like really took it personal. <laughs> that two guys got sent to the hospital. Yeah. You know, I've heard tell that they still hold a grudge today. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, uh, that's this week's episode. That's all I got. We did the shout out. Yeah, we did the shout out. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. I know mine was long winded, but we got there in the end. Had a couple laughs. Yeah, you were talking about Spanish, like foreign rifles and stuff, when the entire story was just the last five minutes of your story. Tell a friend about our podcast. (laughs) Leave us a rating. Um, And check us out on YouTube and Facebook in the future. Hopefully, going to be on YouTube if this works. it's really hard. Um, <laughs> it's just so hard. I just like can't right now. Um, yeah, tell friends. Um, I'm Ryan. That's on. We'll see you later. And if you have a fun history tidbit, send us a send us a message on Instagram. And he'll actually what pre- happened underscore pod. And, and I'll remember you, it next we'll week. Be, I promise. We'll be prepared. I promise. Until then. Good job. Good job. <laughs>